Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Let's look to his word. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. This morning, I want to speak to you from a sermon titled, The Ultimate Humility. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for allowing us to be here, God. Thank you for giving this place to come and to worship you and to gather in your name. God, I pray that now you would set me aside, Lord, and speak to us. God, tell us what you want us to know. Speak to us on the inside. Change us. Transform us. Reveal yourself to us. We thank you for your word, and we ask you by your spirit to be our teacher today. Guide us. Instruct us. Encourage our hearts, God. Let us know what you want us to know in such a real way that it would change us, that we would love you more. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The ultimate humility. Humility is not a word that people are really rushing to in 2017. Humility is out of favor in our current culture. If you really want to see a lack of humility, watch any sporting event in the world. And you will find out what a lack of humility. The New York Giants, who I despise, the New York football Giants, who I despise. Any any Giants fans in the room? Y'all shamed and bad about it? Okay, good. I don't like the New York Giants. They used to have a tight end named Jeremy Shockey. Anybody remember that dude? He was no good. He thought he was somebody. Uh, But Jeremy Shockey played on a bad New York Giants team, and he was a decent tight end. Had decent stats a couple of years, but he was so arrogant. His team could be down literally 49 to nothing. It could be third and two, and he'd catch an over-the-middle pass for three yards and get a first down, and he would jump up, do the electric boogaloo, and yeah! I'm like, what are you celebrating? You are... Three minutes left in the game, you're going to get beat by 50 points, and you're freaking out. It's like I watch some basketball players, all right? I love basketball. Me and my, me and my kids, we go to basketball games every year as many times as we can all across the country. And, of course, we like front runners. We pull for the New England Patriots. See, David don't often beat Goliath. Goliath usually just stomps David out. We, we like big dogs. We Boston Celtics fans. You know, the winningest team, y'all don't know, y'all don't recognize. The winningest franchise in NBA history. Can't get no, okay, how many Laker fans we got in the room? Any Laker fans? Second place. You, you know, you, you, you are, you're almost right there with Boston. But I, I, I love to watch basketball, but sometimes it's too much. I have literally seen players, team be down by 20, last minute of the game. Some dude six foot eleven. 255 pounds, jumped three inches off the floor, slam dunk the basketball, and <laughs> all the way back to the other baseline. I'm like, have you, what? That's like, can I hit that plexiglass from here? I ain't done nothing. That's nothing, but people, humility is just not in vogue. So I hope that we're a different kind of crowd this morning. I hope that because the Bible advocates and admonishes us to be humble, that we would choose what God wants for us over what we want for ourselves. 
See, you don't, you don't, people are like, well, I've just been humble my whole life. In fact, that you're telling somebody that makes you arrogant. Well, Pastor, I'm not proud. I'm, I'm just really, if anything, I'm overly humble. The fact that you're saying that about yourself proves that you're arrogant. People, no matter what your personality is, see, people think loud folk are arrogant, quiet folk are humble. Some of the most arrogant people I ever met never said a word to you. In their mind, they're thinking about you the whole time, though. They, they got you on lockdown. All of us have a proclivity to pride. That's why the Bible talks so much about being humble. It talks so much about being proud. We're going to look at the ultimate humility today. Who would you think, just off the top of your head, if we had to pick one example, I'll give you a hint. He was born in a manger. One example, I'll give you a hint. He was virgin born. One example, I give you a hint, he was God coming to flesh. If we had to pick one example of who we should pattern our lives after as Christians, who would it be? Jesus. We are to imitate the life of Christ. We need to study this book to find out how Jesus lived, and we need to live the way he lived. That's what Christian is. Christian is someone who follows the lifestyle and the teaching of Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at his humility today. The ultimate in humility is what Jesus did. This passage that I've read to you makes up what theologians call the doctrine of kenosis. Kenosis comes from a Greek word which means to empty. And I want you to figure out how to empty you today. Empty yourself. I love that song. We used to sing it, empty me, fill me. Empty me, fill me. You can't fill a full cup of water you got to pour some of it out if you want to fill it with something else. And every one of us today needs to empty ourselves. Whether it's your pride, whether it's your lust, whether it's your anger, whether it's your bitterness, whether it's your unforgiveness, what, what, whether it's whatever it is, your laziness, whatever your carnality or your flesh has filled you up with, you need to learn how to get empty. Say empty. So this doctrine of kenosis is this passage that shows the ultimate of humility where Jesus stripped himself of who he was to become who we now know him as. And we're going to develop that as we look at these verses. It's going to be more like a Wednesday night Bible study today because I want to teach some this morning on these verses. Our text began in Philippians 2.5 where the scripture says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, comma. Always pay attention to the punctuation. Take the Bible in small, bite-sized pieces so you can digest it. Let this mind be in you. Now, if the Scripture commands you, encourages, exhorts you to let it be in you, what's the opposite alternative of that? You could what? You could not. You could not let it. Every day, every hour, Every minute, every second, as a believer, you have the choice to either let it be or not let it be. Now, if you live in a real world like I do, there's times where people get on your nerves. Anybody? I mean, like last nerve stuff, right? And there's times where you really honestly, even as a saved, sanctified Christian, you just want to give them a piece of your mind. You just want to let them know how ignorant, stupid they really are. And just let, hey, you, you are out there and you're ready to give them. I have people tell me all the time, Pastor, I, I almost gave that woman a piece of my mind today on the job. God does not want us giving people a piece of our mind. He wants us to allow the mind of Christ to rule in our life, to be in us. He wants, he wants us to go everywhere we go and give people the mind of Christ. If I just stopped right there. And we had to make determination today. Are you operating day by day in your mind or in the mind of Christ? Are you thinking your thoughts, the way life has shaped you, the way your circumstances are coming at you? Are you thinking as a human? Are you thinking the way you were raised to think? See, because all of us were raised wrong. Because we were raised by imperfect people. Not me, Pastor. I was raised perfect. Once again, we got a pride issue. All of us were raised, as parents, we're raising our children imperfectly. Do we, do you, can you agree with that? None of us are perfect parents. So, so we've all made mistakes and we've all been taught wrong things along the way. So you've got to make a decision. Are you going to allow your way of thinking to govern your life? 
Or are you going to let the mind of Christ be in you? See, it's the, your mind is at the top. Your mind is in the head. It's the place of leadership, governance, and guidance. And this is what God wants for his people, to be led, to be governed, and guided by the way Jesus would think. We need to learn how to see life as Christ saw life. We need to learn how to love the Father as Christ loved the Father. We need to learn how to love each other as Christ loved people because this is what the Scripture tells us to do. When you think about the mind of Christ, you ought to be blown back by it. You ought to realize, smartest guy that ever lived. Now, now some of you think you know some really smart people, and you probably do. But in comparison to the vastness and, and the enormity of the mind of Jesus Christ, everybody else's brain is small. Can we agree on that? This, this, the mind, just think about the mind that Jesus had. It blows me away. I'm a pretty deep thinker. I, I, well, it could be silly to some. I sit down and wonder how long was Jesus in diapers. You never thought about that? It's God in the flesh. I mean, people are so proud. Oh, my child was out of diapers at 18 months old. My child was reading and writing and doing algebra by 22 months old. I hear, I've had people tell me stuff like that. I've had people say, Pastor Scott, my, my, my son was writing his name at 11 months old. What did you name him, Scribble Scrabble? <laughs> what did you name him, Crooked Line on a Piece of Paper? I, I think, well, you know, this is God. I, I think stuff like, did Jesus scream out and cry in the middle of the night when he was hungry? He just lay there perfect and wait on them to get up and feed him. Okay, this, this is about as big as my mind can get. But the mind of Christ is something that we should be in awe of. A theologian named Poole said regarding the mind of Christ, God wants us not only to be awed by it, but also to see it as something that we must enter into and imitate. It's so big. How could I ever think? How could I ever think like God? How could I ever think like Christ? How could I ever get out of my own head and let his mind be in me? Well, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16 says that he's given us the mind of Christ. He's given us the mind of The mind of Christ is already in you. So it's not something you have to try to to conjure up. It's not something that you have to try to figure out. It's not something that you have to try to add to where you are. When you got saved, God put that in you. It's there. You just have to access it. Just like you get to decide. You get to decide today who you smile at and who you roll your eyes at. You get to decide today whose hand you shake and who you walk past. You get to decide today what, what, what the way you treat people. You also can choose today to allow the mind of Christ that is already in you to rise to the top, the place of governance, leadership, and guidance, and allow him to move you as he wants to move you. And I want to tell you something. When you begin to be led by the Spirit of God and, he, and you begin to allow his thoughts to become your thoughts and his ways to become your ways, Christianity takes on a whole new meaning. Most people are struggling in Christianity. Most people find Christianity boring and dull and difficult. Most people see Christianity as a list of rules and regulations, but it's so much more than that. When you enter into this relationship with God and it becomes personal and intimate to you and you begin to do what God commands us to do, you will find out that life in Christ is so much better, but you have to let it be. Say, let it be. I need to learn to tell my children that more. How cool would it be if your kids let the mind of Christ be in them? Jesus wouldn't talk back to authority figures because the Bible says to respect authority. Jesus wouldn't be lazy because the Bible says don't be lazy. Jesus wouldn't hang out with bad friends because the Bible says not to hang out with bad friends. Jesus wouldn't come home with C's and D's when he's capable of straight A's. Are you following me? What if, what if your spouse let the mind of Christ be in them. How awesome would that be? You, then you would never have to worry about adultery, which is a big issue if you can't admit it. A lot of people sneaking. A lot of people messing around. A lot of people creeping. A lot of people doing stuff. I know people that have more than one self. I'm not going to have you raise your hand on this one. 
Listen, if you have more than one cell phone, just because you got stuff on that other cell phone that you don't want anybody to know, and you call yourself a Christian, compile yourself down to one cell phone. Jesus would not be walking around living undercover like that. Because he knows, the Bible says, that we're all naked and open before him with whom we have to do. God sees everything. So we need to let this happen in our life. We need to let these thoughts come to the forefront of our mind to lead us, to guide us, and to be our governing rule. You're not in charge of yourself if you call yourself a Christian. You don't get to take days off from Christianity. You may take them, but it's not, it's not, it's not an excuse. And it's not tolerated. It's a shame and a sin before God. God expects us to have the mind of Christ. Jesus never took his hand off the plow. Jesus told people, if you take your hand off the plow, you're not even worthy to serve me. Jesus said, if you stop and look back to the old way, you don't even really love me at all. Jesus told his followers, he said, why do you even call me Lord when you don't even do the things that I say? Jesus never disappointed the Father. We need to learn how to let that mind be active in us so we can move forward in our own Christianity. In verse 6, it goes on to say, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is a difficult verse to properly exegete, to draw out of it what it's really saying. It, you got to read it in several different translations because this is the most formal writing in the entire New Testament. Philippians is an informal book that God inspired Paul to write to his friends. The church at Philippi was the closest group of people to Paul in the natural, and the letter of Philippians is his most loosely informal. He's got a bunch of what's up, how's it going speech in there, but in this passage that I'm reading to you today, in these few verses of the kenosis, he writes the most formal, big words used in the entire New Testament. So much so that this passage of Scripture was a hymn for the early church. They set these words to music and they sang these words in the Greek in the first century church because it is so deep and profound and it really tells us who Jesus is. And it describes more intimate details about Christ to us than any other passage in the Bible. It says that Jesus existed... In the form of God. Now, if you ask somebody or somebody asks you, when did Jesus come into the earth? Most people would say 2,000 years ago. But if you ask somebody who knows the right answer, when did Jesus come into the earth? Jesus has always existed. Jesus and God were in complete unity and fellowship forever. There was a never a time that there was a father without the son. There was never a time that there was a son without the Holy Spirit. There was a never a time in the life of God that Jesus did not exist. Jesus didn't come into existence in, as a baby in a manger. Jesus has existed as God forever. That's why in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, as, and he, he created all that was in it. And when he came to create man, he said, let us make man in our image. Now, God's not schizophrenic. God doesn't have split personalities. He was really talking to somebody. He was talking to Jesus. Jesus has always been around. But even though he had existed forever in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And I'm going to show you something in just a minute of how Jesus took all of his advantages of being God. When he became a man, he set some of those things aside. He didn't hold on to all his advantages. He didn't hold on to all his privileges. Remember when they came to get Jesus at night on that Thursday night, and they came with guards and they came with swords and shields. And Jesus told him, he said, I was in the marketplace every day teaching. Y'all could have took me anytime. You coming out here at night with swords and shields to, to arrest me? You, and, and Peter, he takes his sword off and he goes to fight. And Jesus is like, you don't have to do that. Don't you know at any point I, 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 I could just get myself out of here? He could have commanded thousands of angels to come and rescue him. He, he just spoke a word to him. And all those soldiers fell down backwards anyway, were paralyzed. Jesus... Jesus did not choose to use all of his advantages. And if you don't get anything out of this message, I want you to learn something. We all have advantages in life. 
But you don't have to choose to use your advantages. You can choose to be humble. You don't have to choose to lord your superiority over anybody. You can choose to be humble. You don't have to choose to let anyone around you know that you have more than them. You can choose to be humble because that's what Jesus did. He, he didn't feel, even though he was equal with God, he, he, he was God in, in form, but he didn't think that was something that he needed to hold on to all the time and lead with. When you walk into a room, and this is something I've had people ask me, do you mind if I call you Scott? I'm like, I've been called Scott my whole life. And, and you know, but people who've been in church, especially formal churches, they, they, they don't want to refer to their leader in a common way. I've had people correct other people. I've been in, in, in meetings and somebody called me Scott and have somebody from the church say, would, would you please address our pastor as Pastor Scott or, 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 or Pastor Becker? And listen, Scott doesn't bother me. When people ask me what my name is, I tell them Scott. I don't, I don't lead with, I don't take the job that God has given me, the role, the office that God has placed me in and lead with that. I don't lord over that. I, I see some of these pastors, they, they're not God. Jesus was God in the flesh. He had all the advantages of being God, but he didn't make people serve him the way I see some of these pastors making people. 25 members in the church, nine armor bearers. What in the world? 12 members in the church, one person carrying your Bible, another person carrying your handkerchief. Readers reading for you. People coming to your house. Listen, if somebody comes to my house to cut my grass, they get paid. I don't have anybody washing my car. You can look at it and tell that. 190,000 miles on that car. What, what am I washing it for? I mean, I, yeah, I knock the dust off it every now and then. We do not need to live based on title power ties images we need to live like christ he was higher than anyone but he didn't lead with that he didn't walk in the door and use his advantages to his benefit he's the eternal god he's been around forever he he was in existence before bethlehem and even though he didn't cling to his privileges of divine nature he never set his divine nature aside this is where some theologians miss it. They think that Jesus set his divinity aside to become a man. But that's not what happened. Jesus stayed fully God the whole time while being fully man as well. This is one of the great difficulties of theology. It's called in theologic terms hypostatic union. You have that on the notes? You got that phrase somewhere on the notes? Look that up. Study hypostatic union from a reliable source. Wikipedia, listen, is not a reliable source. That's just something people blog on. But hypostatic union means it's a sincere reality that two things were going on inside Jesus that never happened with anybody else. He had a union of total godness and total humanity. He was fully God and fully human at the same time. You say, Pastor, I don't see how that can be. Was he God or was he a man? He was completely God the whole time, but he was also completely human the whole time. He was able to see Philip while he was under the tree. He was able to know things that he couldn't know, but he also set aside his ability to tell people when he would return. Remember when they said, when are you coming back? When is this all going to happen? And he said, only the Father knows the day and the hour. He chose to set some things aside, but he never stopped being God. He maintained this hypostatic union at all times that he would always be God, but be God in the flesh. This is two natures of Jesus, uh, divine and human. He was, listen, simultaneously God and man at the same time. He was God. He was able to raise himself from the dead, but he was man. He got hungry. He was God. He was able to know the thoughts people were thinking. He said, I know which ones of you are following me and which ones aren't. But he also felt rejection. This is something that is bigger than the human mind can grasp. Everyone you know is fully human. 
You might know some people that you think are a saint. You might know some people that you think are deep in, 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 in Christ, fully human. Jesus was not only fully human, but he was fully God at the same time. But he didn't always use his privileges to his advantage. It's, it's like a king. Okay, Take, think about this this way, and I'll move on. If a king is sitting in his royal raiment, in his, in his full dress kingly robe on the throne, it's easy to see he's the king, right? You walk in, you don't have to guess which one of these cats is the king. But what if the king decides to put on, take off his robes and put on beggar clothes and walk in the streets of the common people? Is he still the king? Yes. Is he any less of the king? But he's decided not to hold on to all his advantages in front of people so he could go and do a different mission. Jesus came to the earth as God to do a mission, but he clothed himself in human flesh so that he could walk among the common people and do what God called him to do. In verse 7, the Bible says, instead of holding on to his advantages, instead of grasping to being God, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. Jesus emptied himself. We call ourselves Christians. Should we follow Christ? He emptied himself. So what should we do? He emptied himself. He set aside the things that needed to be set aside so he could accomplish God's purpose in his life. Here's my question to you today. Are you willing to set aside the things in your life so that you can accomplish what God's will is for you today? Let's just, let's just run down it. Can you accomplish God's will for your life? Let's just think about it. Can you accomplish God's will for your life never reading the Bible? I'm going to go with no. Can you accomplish God's will for your life not having a strong prayer life? I'm going to say no. Can you accomplish God's will for your life being a mean, angry, bitter, negative, whoremongering sinner? I'm going to go with no. Can you accomplish God's will for your life abusing drugs and alcohol and staying high all day long? I'm going to go with no. There's some things you need to learn how to empty yourself of. Well, that's just me, and I'm trying to be real. I, I like what Chris Rock said. Yeah, real stupid. Stop that foolishness of culture. Stop trying to be real and start trying to be who God wants you to be. But that means you're going to have to empty yourself. Some of you need to change the music you're listening to. Some of you need to change the friends you're hanging around. Some of you need to change what you're watching on Internet devices. Some of you need to change your attitude about certain things. You just let go of, well, that's just who I am. I've had people say, well, that's just who God made me. No, that's not who God made you. That's who the world made you. That's who you allowed the world to make you. But if we're going to follow the example of a humble God who came and emptied himself and assumed the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, Jesus could have came to the earth any kind of way he wanted to. He could have came to the earth full grown. He could have came to the earth as a king. He could have came to the earth as a he could have came to the earth as an angelic being. He could have came to the earth as God. But he emptied all of that that was in him and took on the form of a slave. He came in very low estate. I, I love messages when, when preachers preach about he came the, the first time as a baby in a manger, but he's coming the second time in all power and all glory. And, and he came in such low estate the first time that some people don't realize that it's more about his humility than him lacking anything. He took on the likeness of a human being. He breathed the same air we breathe. You ought to try to get that sometime. He walked on the same dirt. Maybe not in the same geographic city, but the dirt over there is dirt like the dirt over here is dirt. The air over there is air like the air over here is air. He ate food like we eat food. He drank water like we drink water. He drank wine like some of y'all. Well, he didn't drink that much. <laughs> he lowered himself 
to become one of us. If he lowered himself to become one of us, what sense does a proud, arrogant, high-minded Christian look? How does that make any sense at all? People walking around acting like they're more important than other people because they're a pastor, a deacon, an elder, and a pot. Listen, if you meet somebody who tells, if the first time you meet them, they tell you my name is, is Reverend Bishop Apostle, uh, Dr. Co-Founder, Evangelist, you, you know this ain't nobody you want to get next to. They, they come in there with all that form and, and, and you know, self-importance. And I already told y'all, everybody in this room, I, if you want to go, and there's preachers in this community that have done it, you want to go online for $14.95, you can get ordained today. They'll, they'll send you a PDF, you can print it out, ordination certificate. I'm ordained by the church of, of nothing, and nobody knows who I am, but I got a piece of that, And that's what you'll be. Now, that's not where I'm ordained. I'm ordained by a real group of people that had, that had trust and faith in the call of God on my life. But people that lead with all that self-importance, they're not Christian. Oh, they may be saved. They may go to heaven when they die. But Christian means to be like Christ. We need to learn how to empty ourselves of all of our self-importance. We need to learn how to empty ourselves of all of the things that don't please God. We need to learn how to empty ourselves of all of the things that are hindering us from accomplishing God's mission on the earth, verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He humbled himself. All right, so here's Jesus. Jesus has been around. Uh, <laughs> we say stuff, it's not really true, but we try to get our mind wrapped around it. Jesus, I can tell you, Jesus was around for millions of years before Adam and Eve. Anybody believe that? But it's more than that, because when we think eternity in our human mind, we think moving forward. But eternity is not just eternity forward. Eternity is eternity forward and eternity past. When, 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 here, here's a great question that you don't have the answer for, no matter how smart you are, and neither does anyone else. When did God start? How did God start? Well, he didn't. And he didn't. He's always been. That's bigger than our mind can conceive. Some of this stuff takes faith. I've told you so many times. When you can't figure it out, you've got to faith it out. Some of these things have to be just accepted by faith. But Jesus has been around for billions and billions and billions of years before Adam and Eve, before this earth. But now he finds himself clothed in human skin. Now he finds himself wrapped in, in the package. See, because really all these are for us is packages. That's why you shouldn't be so concerned about being white or black. That's why you shouldn't be so proud about being Hispanic or, or Irish or Mexican or whatever you take joy in. You ought to realize that this is just a shell. This is just an outer wrapping. We are spiritual beings housed inside a body with a soul in, in, on the inside. We are spirit beings. God is not flesh and blood, the Bible tells us. He, he is a spirit, and Jesus existed in spirit form for all of eternity before this earth began, but now he found himself in a human form. And he knew when people looked at him, they saw a man. A lot of leaders couldn't even take that. Could you imagine... Donald Trump taking off his power tie, putting on a pair of blue jeans and a T-shirt and going to Walmart. No. Ain't never going to happen. I'm going to step out on the ledge right now. I don't believe he ever been in a Walmart. I, let's, let's just see. All these politicians want to say they're down with the common people. How, how many people been in Walmart in the last month? That's what I thought. Because... We ain't trying to be sedity. We're trying to get good prices. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you uh, which one of my sons said it, but his name, his name starts with J and ends with Ake. But when we went to New Orleans and we walked down uh, Bourbon Street in New Orleans and we saw every level of crazy-looking person in the world, he said, God, it makes you feel good, don't it, Dad? I said, what do you mean? He said, man, if you can't hold your head up high and poke your chest out and feel good about how you look walking down this street, you got bad problems. <laughs> and we saw some crazy-looking people. 
Same way at Walmart. You need ego boost. Comb your hair, brush your teeth, go to Walmart. You're 95, you're 95 percentile already. If you, you comb your hair and brush your teeth, wear shoes that match. You're 96 percentile. You know, don't, don't be exposing no, no, don't want no plumber's crack in the back. You are 99 percent right there. You, you want to really feel good about yourself. Listen, Jesus degraded his fashion. You, you, you go look. Listen, you, you think I'm playing? I'm not busting on people to look at Walmart. I'm just telling, I'm telling you the truth. Go to Walmart on Normandy Boulevard and just sit on the side and watch folk go by. You'd be like, I think I'm looking pretty good these days. I, I, I at least got most of my, my teeth, and, you know, I got, I, 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 got, I got to go on clothes that match. Jesus lowered himself in form to clothe himself as a human being. He humbled himself to obedience. Why is it so hard for us to humble ourselves? Why is it so hard for us to say, not my will, but your will be done? Why is it so hard for us to be told what to do? I believe America, in many ways, has harmed our ability to be Christ followers. I believe Western civilized culture has harmed our ability to be Christ followers. In other nations, they understand royalty. They know to bow when the king walks in. I've told y'all, some of y'all before have heard me say, I heard one time the NBA champions went to the White House because that's what they do. If they want to go, they go. If they don't want to go, they, that's their business. Um, I wouldn't go. But, you know, everybody mad at these different players. You, you, he shouldn't, doesn't want to go to the White House. That's, that's his choice. It's a day off. But anyway, they went and Prince Charles was there. I feel bad for Prince Charles. I went to kindergarten, first and second grade in England. And the queen was the queen when I was in kindergarten. The Queen of England has been the Queen of England for my whole life and more plus. Charles is older than me. He's been waiting on being the king forever. You know he's ready for her to just kick off and go. They don't even talk about Prince Charles being the king anymore because they figure she's going to outlive him. One of his sons is going to be the king. But Prince Charles was at the White House. So you got a bunch of ballers in there. And Prince Charles, dude, boy, front man, whatever he was, comes and tells them all, we got some rules. You're going to go into the room with the crown prince of England. And if you don't know, man, it's ridiculous how many countries queen is over. There's all kinds of countries outside of England that, that these people have under, under their deal. And so Prince Charles is a big deal everywhere but America. And he starts telling them, never look the prince directly in his eyes. Avert your eyes to the floor when he, when he's, when he looks at you. Don't touch him. Don't make any contact with him at all. Don't speak to him directly. Half the players are like, bump this man. I ain't even going in there. Who is he? We do not know how to relate to royalty as Americans because we are birthed in rebellion. We are birthed in defiance. We are birthed in independence. And there's some good things about independence, but there's some bad things as a Christian about independence because we should be totally dependent on God. We've got this mindset of, I'm a grown man. I do what I want to do. I'm a grown woman. Nobody tell me what to do. Listen, stop. Hey, I'm going to just give y'all something free. Some of y'all bitter women out here, let me tell you something. And some of y'all that know some bitter women, tell, tell them from me because I can't get to all of them. But let them know. This culture that says, I don't need a man. I'll tan my own business. <laughs> the reason they say that with their necks swagging and their fingers popping is because they're mad they don't have the man they want. America has given us such a level of, I don't need anybody. Who is he? Tell me what to do. I, he, I, I'm, 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 I'm as grown. Listen. We have been birthed in this rebellion and this independence, but we need to learn how to humble ourselves. We need to learn how to approach God. Jesus gave us more of this example than we could ever fully grasp. Just the fact that he came to the earth and put flesh on his godness. He hid himself inside a body, so when he walked into the room, it was even more than a king putting on beggar's clothes. It was God putting on human clothes. He stooped low when he came to die for us on the cross. He humbled himself in so many ways. I'm going to read you a list of some things just to get it in your mind. 
he humbled. He was humble in that he took on the form of a man and not a more glorious creature. He could have came as anything. And listen, here's what's wild. See, if I'm God, now I'm cool being, you know, five foot nine and a half, 215 pounds of, of, of cute and cuddly. I'm all right with that. Everybody ain't meant to be 6'2", 220 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. Some of us got to be, you know, five, nine and a half, 215 pounds and outgame all them dudes, right? To just outswag them and just, you know, put them in their place. But if I was God and I was going to make me come to the earth, I might make me like 12 foot 7, 900 pounds, five washboards on each side. of I'd washboard back. I'd take everybody that anybody ever thought was good looking, whoever you got, Denzel, Brad Pitt, whatever, whoever you're looking at, I don't know. Uh, I would wrap all that up and I would multiply it by a billion. Man, I would come around the curve like this and I'd be like, people would be like, Took my breath away. He, he looked at me and, oh. The Bible says Jesus was not even attractive. He said there was nothing attractive about his physical appearance that anyone would even desire to look at him. That's not how we would pick our outerness if we were creating ourselves. He took on the form of a human being. He was humble in that he was born into an obscure, oppressed place. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born with fanfare. He was humble that he was born into poverty among a despised people. He, listen, oppressed people are always going to long for God more than non-oppressed people. Oppressed people are always going to know they need God more than non-oppressed people. Rich, educated people feel like they can trust their money and their intellect. Oppressed people know that they need God's help just to survive. He chose in his humility to be born into poverty. He was humble in that he was born as a child instead of appearing as a man. He came in the weakest form he could come in, as a baby. He was humble in submitting to the obedience of a child in a household. He honored his mother, and his earthly father. He was God. He didn't have to do what they told him to do. We got, grown, we got kids now. Listen, my children never get so grown, they feel like they don't have to do what I tell them to do. There's one thing left they got to do. Get up out of here. You, you ain't got to do what I got to do other than this one thing, leave. Because when, when kids start, I don't have to do what you say. I don't have to do what you say. I don't have to do that. You can't make me do Listen. Bring me over to your house. I can make them do it. I promise you. I guarantee you. Give it, give it. you I might have to make you sign a legal contract first. <laughs> Jesus did not do that. He walked in submission to human beings. Think about the humility required on his part. He created people. He's God in the flesh over everyone. But he walked as a child in obedience to his parents. He was humble in learning a trade with his hands. What is wrong in America? Thinking, listen, my kids have heard my, this speech their whole life. Don't, I'm not saying that your kids aren't special and great and fantastic and going to go to college and, and, and become billionaires. But my kids have heard their whole life, college ain't for everybody. Everybody ain't meant to go to college. Somebody's got to be a carpenter. Somebody's somebody got to be a mechanic. Somebody got to go to trade school. Somebody got to learn. Jesus humbled himself, and instead of becoming some, some look-to philosopher, he became a builder. He became a worker. He was humble in the long wait until he launched out into his public ministry. Thirty years he served faithful. The average time span of the average staff member in the average church in America Whatever that position be, worship leader, children's pastor, youth pastor, administrator, whatever it be, 12 to 18 months. 12 to 18 months. Elder Ron, how long have you been with us? Five years? 
five years. That's five times the average person. Average stay of senior pastor, a little longer because they get paid a little more. Don't hate. It just is. 18 to 36 months. I've been here 15 years. So if we go three years for me, I'm five times up. If we go one year for you, you're five times up. Why do all the support staff leave so fast? Because they get tired of being humble. Because they get tired of not having it their way. Because they think they need to spread their wings and become bigger and take on more. What do you think it was like for Jesus to lay in the cut for 30 years? Working with his hands. Building stuff for other people. Taking orders from other people. Having other people tell him how, how they wanted their, their cart built. I bet he never messed one up. I bet he worked hard because he's God. 30 years. We, we get Christians now come in. They'll serve in a church, tell the whole world, God called me. I got an anointing on my life. I'm supposed to be leading something, you know, a year, two years serving in a church. They're ready to go start their own church. Jesus served for 30 years just waiting. He was in preparation for 30 years to do three years of ministry. We got people now want to do three months of preparation and go have some big 30-year ministry. That's just not how it works. That's not the humble way. That's not the order. He was in preparation and in training, in preparedness for 30 years to do three years of ministry to accomplish three hours of purpose. He was humble in the companions and the disciples he chose. And I'm glad about that. See, because Jesus doesn't just pick the cream of the crop. Somebody ought to be glad for that. He doesn't just pick the people born on the right side of the track with the right resume and the right pedigree. Y'all know that word should be resume, right? I can't let it slide. He didn't, he didn't come and surround himself with the upper crust. He came, he humbled himself, and he found common people. I'm glad that he condescends to men of low estate. I'm glad that he loves the lowly sinner. I'm glad that he would choose anybody that would choose him. He came and he took a bunch of ragtime, uneducated. The Bible says they were ignorant and unlearned men. And that's who he chose. He handpicked them. Now, you know, my kids, my kids like to play uh, whatever it is. We got, you know, too many gaming systems in my house. But whatever gaming system they're playing on, they, they got different uh, 2K games for basketball. And so Seth was asking me, he's like, Dad, help me pick my five because Jake's winning. And so, you know, we're going to go through one through five. You got to pick a point guard, a shooting guard. You got to pick a small forward, a power forward. You got to pick a center. So, you know, they got everybody on there. And so, like, who should I have as my center? I'm like, well, you know, you get a handful of people. But, you know, go ahead and go with all-time leader. Put Jabbar out there. And so I picked these five. I, I put Jabbar. I put LeBron. I put Jordan. I, I'm, I'm stacking this team up so ridiculous. And it, it, Jesus didn't do that. You realize it, that J Jake said one of the, big, one of the biggest um, ways people can burn you is, is say, you, I, you can pick my team for me and I'll still beat you in this game. Jesus picked the team that was this because he said he chooses the lesser things to put his power in them. If you call yourself a Christian, you ought to humble yourself and know I'm not all that because he wouldn't have picked me if I was all that. I got problems and I got issues. That's who he picks. He does, I've heard people say, oh, well, man, if, if, if Michael Jackson could have got saved, think of all the good he could have done. God ain't picking a lot of people like that. The Bible says not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise people are called to this thing. God wants to take a bunch of ragtag nobodies and let them do something really great for him so everybody will know it had to have been God because they couldn't have done that on their own. He was humbling the audience he appealed to and the way he taught. He's out there talking to people that couldn't even feed themselves. He had to do miracles just to feed them. I know a lot of pastors, and I've, seen, I've been to a lot of conferences, and pastors pick what location they want to be in based on population density, 
based on demographic research, based on income inside that population density. And they pick a place where they know they can draw the type crowd they want to draw and bring in the type money they want to bring in. I thank God that God opened up a door for us to move into this community so we could minister to people that are hurting, that have needs, that aren't what, what other pastors were, would want to put. I had people say, why would you put your church there? Then people can't pay your bills. I said, I don't do church to get bills paid. We're following God. We're doing ministry here. We're following the life of Christ. He humbled himself even in the audience that he appealed to. He was humble in the temptations that he allowed to come his way. He was humble in weakness, hunger, thirst, tiredness. He was, he was humble in total obedience to the Father. He was humble in his submission to the Holy Spirit. He was humble in choosing and submitting to the death of the cross. He was humble in the agony of his death. He was humble in the shame, mocking, and public humiliation of his death. He was humble in enduring the spiritual agony of the sacrifice on the cross. When it says that he humbled himself, he went through a lot to become a human being. He, he stripped himself of a lot to become a human being. He became obedient to the point of death, comma. That last phrase says, even death on a cross. In the first century, the cross was the Roman means of execution. It was only for the worst of the worst criminals. It was so violent and so non-humane that Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. Philippians were Roman citizens. They knew that the, the, the cross was beneath them. They could do anything in the world as a Philippian and never have to face the, the cross because it was so brutal that they weren't allowed to do that to Roman citizens. Jesus could have picked a easier, he had to die for us. That's what the Bible says. He could have picked an easier means to die. He had to shed his blood for us. He could have gave a pint at the blood bank. He could have picked an easier means to do that for us. But listen to what Charles Spurgeon had to say. The lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him in our adoration and reverence. Unless you know how deep into the gutter he reached to get you, you probably will never lift your hand to him. Unless you know how, how low he had to come to save you, you probably will never really want to exalt him in your life. That's what's wrong with some people coming to church now. That's why some people won't sing. That's why some people won't worship. That's why some people won't serve. That's why some people won't pay tithes and offerings because they don't understand that you are lucky beyond measure that God ever looked your way. You are blessed beyond measure that God would reach down and grab hold of something that's vile and dirty is us he dirtied himself by attaching himself to us the bible says when jesus hung on the cross that he took on the sin of all mankind everybody's sin was placed on jesus at one time murder rape child molestation adultery phony everything the dirt and the shame. Think about it, you even as a human being. You do something really bad, you feel shame and guilt on that. What if you had everybody's really bad shame and guilt to feel in your head right now? The dirt that you would feel. All the dirt that's ever been done was put on him in an instant. Theologians call it the simultaneous transfer where God offered his righteousness to the world and took the sin of the world on his son. If you study the cross, you realize that the cross was a process. You can see it lived out a little bit in the passion of the Christ. You can see it lived out a little bit where they have Jesus in that courtyard and they're whipping him and they're beating him, and they're mocking him. You, you can see with the cat of nine tails where they put that whip and it wraps around and they snatch flesh out of him. The Bible says that all of his bowels hung out. His bowels hung below his groin. The Bible says they hung him naked on the cross and it was impossible to tell if he was a man or a woman because all his insides were hanging on the outside. He was never a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. And he was never a brown Jesus with a trickle of blood coming down one side of his face. He was beaten and bloodied. He was battered and humiliated. He was stretched wide and hung on a cross, suspended between the earth and heaven, laughed at and ridiculed by the very people he came to love and save. 
and it hurt, and he was thirsty, and he was tired. Most people died in the scourging process. They put them on the cross and just leave them up there to choke to death because they would hang you in a twist like that. And when you can't draw air into your, your lungs because of the twist and the expanse, you had to push up with your feet making the nails in your feet rip harder and pull down with your hands, making the nails in your hands rip harder just to draw a breath. And as that choking process would happen on the cross and human lungs would fill up with water, people would die. That's why when they wanted to get Jesus and the other two men off the cross because it was Passover, they didn't leave them. Sometimes they leave people up there for hours or days. They sent a soldier by to break their legs. Why break their legs? If you can't push up, you can't draw air. All this excruciating pain Jesus went through. Humbled himself. Stooped low to save us by taking on the form of a man. Then he stooped even lower to get down to our level. And he stooped even lower to the worst, most horrific fashion of death ever, the death of the cross. But even others that died on the cross never stooped as low as Jesus and never felt the pain that he felt. They felt the same physical pain that he felt. But I believe the greatest pain that Jesus felt was in the moment where the Bible says before he died, the entire earth went black. It was daytime. And it didn't say dark, it said black. You've been in a room, people say, I can't see the hand in front of my face. That kind of dark. Theologians say the reason why the earth went dark is because the Father, for the first time in all eternity, separated himself and turned his back on his son. Because right before the earth went black, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, I feel you leaving me, God. I feel you pulling away from me. You're putting all these people's sin on me, and you're making me dirty, and I see you looking away from me, and I feel you separating outside of me, and I don't like it, and I'm alone, and I'm hurting, and you're leaving me here. And the pain of separation from God Jesus bore that on the cross, and he took your sin in his body so that he could save us. He humbled himself. He said he could have called himself off that cross or called thousands of angels to come get him. But he stayed there. He stayed there while people spit on him. He stayed there while people ridiculed him. He stayed there while people tortured him. He laid there and let people drive nails in his hands and his feet. And he stayed on the cross when God left him. Because he loves you. He humbled himself. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. How can we be ungrateful for that? How can we act like this didn't happen? How can we pretend like this never happened? How can we go through life day after day as if we owe God nothing? He came for us. Took on the form of a person. Was obedient all the way to the end, even the death of the cross. The last verse, verse 9. It says, therefore God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. Therefore, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to read the preceding verses and see what that word's there for. Therefore, because of what was just said, because he humbled himself, because he took the hard road, everybody looking for a life of ease, people watching these liars on TV preaching about, prosperity and a Cadillac in every driveway. Ain't supposed to be like that. Jesus didn't have a Cadillac. Jesus left with nothing. Jesus didn't even have a large church. He had 120 people following him when he died. The apostles didn't have wealth and riches. They had pain and persecution. And they died horrific deaths. We think that God's going to bless us and give us all our dreams come true. God's going to bless us by letting us go to heaven when we don't deserve to. 
God, God, God blessed us when he sent Jesus to the cross for us. Stop sitting back wondering when God's going to do for you something that you're waiting on. Go out and make it happen yourself. God's done more for us than we deserve on the cross. Because Jesus was humble, because he was obedient, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names. The name Jesus is not a name above all other names. You go to any Hispanic country, you can find somebody named Jesus. Yeah, they got people named Jesus here. There's a lot of people named Jesus, but there's only one Jesus Christ the Lord. And this is the name that is above every name. Because the scripture teaches that when you humble yourself, God will exalt you. And this passage of scripture teaches us to the greater degree of your humility comes the greater degree of God honoring you. It's not about getting honor for honor's sake. It's about getting honor for God's glory's sake. It's not about you becoming somebody that people can look to and aspire to be. It's about you becoming somebody so people can look to and you can say, it's only because of God in my life. The scripture tells us before honor is humility. People want to hear sermons about how to get exalted, how to, how to elevate. People want to hear, uh, hear sermons about how to become powerful, five keys to financial success, three keys to marital happiness. What, 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 about, what about one key to shutting your mouth and being humble? That's what Jesus did. They accused him, and the Bible says he never even opened his own mouth to defend himself because he knew what he had to do. If you're here and you're saved, you know what you need to do. You need to humble yourself and be obedient. And in due time, God is going to exalt you. What if he never exalts you on this earth, but he lets you live in heaven forever? That's all right, because that's exaltation. Heaven is above Above everything, we need to learn how to think big picture as Christians. Well, why I got to take the low road? Why I got to? Why I got to take the struggle? Why I got to take the hard? Why I got to take the less and let them have the best? Because you call yourself a Christian, and that's what Jesus did. Let's learn how to be humble. Let's learn how to look at things the way Jesus looked at things. Let's allow His thoughts to be in our head, so that we can have what He had. You know what he had? He honored his father. He did what God put him on the earth to do. You ought to want that in your life. You ought to want to do what God put you on this earth to do. So here's my word to you today. And I know I've been long, but I want you to wake up and hear this. Here's my final word to you. Get on with it. Get on with it. Doesn't matter what you've been through. Get on with it. Doesn't matter how you feel on the inside. Get on with it. Doesn't matter what your struggle is and what you're trying to overcome. Just get on with it. Get on with being obedient to God. Get on with being who God put you on this earth to be. Stop making excuses and get on with it. You can't get this kind of preaching and this kind of honesty on television. But God sent me here today to tell you, sir, ma'am, young person, get busy about being who God called you to. You don't have to humble yourself and put on the form of a human being. You're already a human being. You don't have to stoop as low as Jesus stooped and die on a cross. But can you empty yourself of anything? Can you give up anything for him? It's time to get on with it. Past time for excuses. It's past time for wallowing. It's past time for complaining and talking about what maybe one day you'll get up and do. God has a purpose for your life. God has destiny for you. Get on with it. Pray with me. God, thank you for getting on with it. And coming to this world to save us. For not procrastinating. For not allowing it to go undone. For not waiting on someone else to do it. God, I pray that you would help us to get on with it. God, I pray that you would help us to walk in humility. I pray that you would help us to walk in truth.
And I pray, God, that you would help us to be obedient unto death, whatever death you have for us. God, I pray you'd let the old things die and let the new things live. God, I pray that you would give us a heart to let the dead bury the dead and get on about the business of being alive for you. I pray you fill us with your spirit, God, and let us have your mind. Let us love you the way Jesus did. Let us love each other the way Jesus does. Thank you for your example of humility. Help us, God, to be humble. Help us to be obedient. In my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.